today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Why are you here? Now, I kind of changed it around a little bit. Not so much of why you are here, but why are you here? I want to know, I want you to know in your own life, in your own heart, the reason why you gather together on a Sunday morning. And I said earlier, some of you probably shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here this morning. At least you ought to have different reasons for being here if you are here. Have you ever needed to go to the heart hospital? They really do exist. Most cities have dedicated heart hospitals with trained heart specialists to diagnose our heart issues. Today, Pastor David will teach that we might have this problem, not necessarily a medical heart condition, but a spiritual one. As he teaches about why we go to church, he will challenge us to really check our hearts and search for our motivation. Is it in the right place? Is our heart healthy in regards to this issue? Or do we need to check into the spiritual health doctor for a checkup and rehabilitation? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Why Are You Here? ever wonder where you are, why you are, when you are? Okay, let me back that up. That's not three questions, okay? That's one question. Do you ever wonder where you are, when you are, why you are? When we look at this, it's, it's, it's not a test whether you have dementia or not either, okay? It's just really the question of why you are where you are, when you are. We're going to be looking at some things this morning that speak about living our life on purpose, not just going through the motions of life, but being where we are, when we are, for a reason. Now, I'm going to ask some hard questions this morning, but uh, for those of you that have been with us for a long time, you get kind of used to that, okay? So, and, and I'm not going to say don't take it personal, because I want you to take it personal. I want you to take personal what I'm asking, why I'm asking it, and for your own self, not for the person that's sitting next to you or the person that you met this morning, okay? So let's pick up where we left off last week. We are in the Gospel according to Luke. We're in the fourth chapter. And this morning we're going to pick up, as I said, where we left off last week in verse 14. We looked at verse 14 and 15 just shortly last week, but we're going to kind of back up and get a running start at uh, this morning's message. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Let me stop right there. We looked last week, as I said, in verse 14. We saw that Jesus was coming back into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Here in chapter 4, we saw back in verse 1 that he was filled with the Spirit. Also in verse 1, we saw that he was led by the Spirit. Now in verse 14, we see that he continues on in the Spirit. He returns in the power of the Spirit. This return brought him back to Galilee, a familiar territory for him. It was the place, again, the the upper regions of Israel. It's the area that's filled with uh, green hills and pasture lands. Again, very agrarian culture in that whole uh, region of Israel. The hills and the valleys filled with farms and herds of sheep and even cattle up in that area. Uh, In that same area is the Sea of Galilee. We find the Jordan River with all the tributaries that feed into it. That becomes their major water source in that area. In this area with its hills, with its pastures, with its farm, with its herds of sheep and cattle, the Sea of Galilee with all the fish that were there. This is where Jesus gained, I believe, This is where he received the vast majority of his illustrations and his parables. When you think about it for a moment of the parables and the illustrations that Jesus used, quite often he's speaking about farming. The farmer went out. He talks about sowing and reaping. He speaks a lot along that line. He talks about fishing, you know, casting out the net, bringing in the fish. So a lot of the illustrations, a lot of the parables, Jesus gleaned actually from that area that he grew up. Outside of the reality that that heaven is truly his eternal home from eternity past to eternity future, Galilee was his home turf here on earth. And now he returns home to Galilee, and as Luke says, in the power of the Spirit. And we can only imagine the difference between Jesus then as he returns and the Jesus who left that area at least a month and a half ago. Now, don't get me wrong. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's God in human flesh. But you have to also look at what the Word of God tells us and lays out to us, that as he went down to that southern area, to the area known as Judea, the southern portion of Israel, it was a desert place. And then to the east of the Jordan River was the wilderness. So if you think the desert place was bad, well, just go east of the Jordan River. You'll find out what bad really is. We think that it's pretty barren here in Casa Grande sometime, but there, there are other places much, much more barren. And that's the wilderness area east of the Jordan. It was this area that, that John the Baptist was baptizing people. It was also here where we read in the baptism of Jesus that the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and I believe that was the very time of the anointing for his ministry. And it was following that anointing that that same Spirit filled him in verse 4 and then led him into that wilderness experience for 40 days of fasting and being tempted by the devil. It was in that desert place of the Judean wilderness where Christ was able to accomplish that great victory over the devil. It was here also that he demonstrated his obedience and his willingness to follow the Spirit's leading wherever it would take him. Now he returns to Galilee. He returns to Galilee, but there's something, I believe, different 
about him. His presence now is powerful. He's filled with, he's led by, he is empowered by the Spirit of God. Not that he didn't have the Spirit before, I know that he did, but now I do believe that there's something different. He returns in the power of the Spirit. Don't miss that. I believe it's a very powerful point of what we're going to see happening from this point on in the ministry of Jesus. Luke tells us that the news of him went out through all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. It's at this point that the opposition, the attack on his life and on his ministry, it hadn't even started yet. Thus far at this point, he's, he's just a man. He's a Galilean of the Galileans. He's, again, uh, he's just one with the rest of them. And yet, very soon, something's going to take place that's going to change things and bring a bit of a shift. There is something that's powerful about him, even at this point, that's drawing people to him. We don't read this prior to this. It's at this point in time, at 30 years of age, after his baptism, after he comes to Galilee. He's moving throughout the area, and he has opportunities to teach at various synagogues in the little villages and in the towns as he heads back home to Nazareth. Now, you need to understand that within any little village, any little family group or, or a population group, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So the smallest of villages could have their own synagogue. That would not be a problem as long as there were 10 Jewish men. And it says here that he ha had the opportunity, he taught in their synagogues and was glorified by all. Again, out of courtesy, it was, it was a custom, it was kind of the, the routine within the synagogues. If you had a visiting Jewish man come into your synagogue to offer him the opportunity both to read the scriptures and also to speak about the scriptures. Because as he comes through, he could share with you, well, you know, I was just down at such and such a place, and down there, Rabbi so-and-so said this and this about that and that. And so they got the opportunity to hear what different people at different parts of the area and the country are saying about various opportunities or various statements within the scriptures. Again, we, we look this even in the New Testament. We see that the apostle Paul had that open opportunity to be able to share Christ at the synagogues. Why? Because he stood up and forced his way in? No, he's a visiting Jew. Hey, my brother, do you have a word from the Lord? Would you like to speak about the scripture this morning? And Paul would then take that opportunity to turn it toward the message of Christ. So here in Luke, Jesus returns to his home area and begins to share in the synagogues of the surrounding villages, and the people were blessed by his words and by the act application of those words. As a matter of fact, each one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each one of them brings out this amazement of the crowds toward the teachings of Jesus. A little bit later here in chapter 4 of Luke, and down in verse 22, we read about the response there at the synagogue of, of Nazareth, at least at first. It says that all bore witness of him, and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Matthew brings out that as he taught in the synagogues that they were astonished and they said, well, where did this man get his wisdom? Nobody ever asked that question about me. I don't know why, but uh, okay, this was Jesus. Okay, so I'm okay with that. Mark tells us that many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? 
John speaks of the growing concern of the interest of the Pharisees whenever they would hear him teach. He speaks about it. He says that the Pharisees marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? In other words, how did he know all this stuff? He's never been to rabbinical school. They would have known if he had gone to any of the known rabbinical schools, but they knew that he hadn't. He was just a common man to them coming and the wall that he laid within the scriptures. As a matter of fact, even the temple police, when they were supposed to go and arrest him, they came back and spoke to the Pharisees and to the leader, the Jewish leadership, and says, no man ever spoke like this man. So wouldn't it be cool to sit under the teachings of Jesus? I mean, I mean, really and truly. I mean, I know we have the word. I know we have the Holy Spirit. But can you just imagine? He says, hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Let me share with you what Isaiah said and what it means to you today. Or take Habakkuk. Let me, or let me share with you what Lamentations means and makes it alive and living to you. Don't forget, all he had was the Old Testament. And he made it alive and they were astonished by his teaching. Although this would bring problems later in Jesus' life and in his ministry, right now there's no opposition So he's being glorified by all. And the reason they were amazed was because, as actually Matthew tells us, he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You see, one of the problems that they had with the scribes and with the rabbis of the time is their teaching was simply, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about that. And Rabbi so-and-so says this about that. They were used to people coming in and saying what the other rabbis told. But here Jesus comes and he opens the scripture and begins to expound the scripture and apply it to their lives. And they were blown away by this. He didn't simply repeat what others taught. After all, Jesus was the very word of God. And now he comes to declare that very word to the people that he came to save and apply that word to his life. So back here in Luke chapter 4, we read of the opportunity he had then to come actually to his, to his home church, in essence, to the synagogue that he would have grown up in there in Nazareth. Verse 16 says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was coming home at least to his earthly home. And there's, there's no doubt that at this particular point, I believe that the people would have been excited to see Jesus coming in, excited in a positive way that he was there. Again, that, that's all going to change in a few moments. But for right now, the, the, the hometown boy, the, the local guy is back in town. And now not only is he old enough, Luke told us that he was 30 years of age, but he's now beginning in his ministry. But before we go too far, Luke brings out a really powerful point that I don't want us to miss this morning. There in verse 16, Luke tells us that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This is where I'm going to camp this morning, okay? And I want you to camp here with me, so just drop your camp chairs and we'll get the s'mores ready here in a moment. And uh, I want to, I want to, Delve into this a little bit deeper. It was his normal, it was his expected activity on the Sabbath day to be in the synagogue. Now, you probably already know where I'm going on this. And some of you are probably thinking, hey man, you're talking to the choir, we're here. 
were the people who are at church all the time. But hold on to your marshmallows for a minute. The thing I want you to know, this morning I'm going to give you some reasons why you shouldn't go to church. Okay? Some reasons why you should not go to church. Now with that being said, some of the rest of you are saying, ha, I knew it. I didn't have to be here today. I could have stayed at home. But for you, I'm going to speak about the necessity of gathering together as the body of Christ. So hopefully this morning the camp smoke won't get in your eyes too bad. You won't be too irritated by it all. Hopefully you'll be able to glean from both sides, requiring all of us really to look at our own lives and see exactly why we are, where we are, when we are. As his custom was, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. But why in the world are you here? Wouldn't that be a great question for our uh, greeters at the door to, uh, to ask you as you came in? Why in the world are you here? Well, they, uh, they've actually been trained, and, and they're very polite, and they, they, they greet you, and they, they welcome you. So I guess it's my job this morning to ask you, why are you here? Now, I kind of changed it around a little bit. It's not so much of why you are here, but why are you here? I want to know. I want you to know in your own life, in your own heart, the reason why you gather together on a Sunday morning. And I said earlier, some of you probably shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here this morning. At least you ought to have different reasons for being here if you are here. Thanks to the input of a blog that I read this week, a fellow by the name of David Fitch, it got my head spinning with this whole idea, particularly when I came to that verse that says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. Now, you need to understand, the, the custom isn't a habit. There's things that each one of us do by, by habit, okay? Just what we do by habit. That's not what we're speaking about here. What we're speaking about here is, no, this, this, is, this is my custom of things. This is what I do. There, there, there's much more of a passion, much more of a directed consideration when it is a custom of things of why I do this. Why? Because, man, that's just what I do. That is just what I do. Not out of habit, not out of constraint, but it's because of what I do. I want to give you some reasons, first of all, of why you shouldn't go to church. Okay? Why you shouldn't go to church. First of all, the first reason is, we don't go to church, gang. We are the church. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are the church. This is just a building. And it doesn't really matter what kind of a building it is. It could be a warehouse. It could be a schoolroom. It could be a, a, a glass-lined cathedral. It really doesn't matter the building. The fact is, is that you are the church. So don't go to church. Be the church. The second reason, too many people, quote-unquote, go to church because they're going out of obligation or out of some duty. They feel that they owe it to someone. Either they owe it to God or they owe it to their spouse or they owe it to a friend or someone else. And, and again, to have a regular spiritual discipline to come together, that's a good thing. But whenever it becomes duty to come, and you spell that D-R-A-G. In other words, whenever it becomes a drag, then something's wrong and something needs to change. And more than likely, it's a heart change that needs to take place. The third thing, if you come together 
for that feel-good feeling, you may just still be just going to church and you ought to stop it. If the gathering of the saints is about your feel-good feeling, then you have a very self-centered reason for being here. You, 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 you'll more than likely, because of that self-centered reason, because you come to church to feel good, then you're going to be highly disappointed a multiple of times. On many occasions, that feel-good feeling is going to make you feel bad by coming to church. You've fallen into the lie, one that I shared with you just last week, the lie that's kind of going around within much of the body of Christ, that God wants you to feel happy because that's what makes him feel happy. No, it's not. In many cases, God doesn't want you to feel happy. He wants you to feel converted. He wants you to feel changed. Maybe he wants you to feel under deep conviction this morning. Maybe he doesn't want you to feel happy at all. Have you ever thought about that? Because it's not about you and I. It's about him. It's about him. Your attendance at, at gatherings, if, if feeling good is, is what your focus is, when you come together, then, then that becomes actually more of an addiction rather than a passion. It's all, it's, it's all about how the ministry ministers to you and not about how you yourself can pour your life into and become a part of the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. Don't come to church if it's about a feel-good feeling. Number four. Number four comes from, it's probably actually still part of number three here. Some people are still going to church because they enjoy the performance, okay? Because they enjoy the performance. And I don't care if it's the speaker who's speaking or the worship team that's leading worship or whatever it is, just fill in the blank. If you're going to church because you enjoy the performance, you need to stop going to church or change your heart and change your attitude. Because if you don't stop, you're soon going to be among the ones who are the mumblers and the complainers. You, you come together as the church. Remember, it's not about performance. And you need to understand that there are going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. Oh, they didn't sing the songs that I like or they didn't sing the songs that I do like the way that I want them sung. Or he doesn't preach the way that he used to. Or he doesn't preach like so and so. And you can fill in the so and so. Any of those things, they, they might be true. Maybe the song's not the song that you like. Maybe it's not sung the way you like it. Maybe the one who's speaking isn't the one that you like. Or maybe what he's saying isn't what you like. But gang, it's not about you. It's not about you. If that's the reason you're here, you need to stop going to church. And you need to change your heart and your reasoning. So with those four reasons of why not to go, let me give you five reasons why you should regularly and consistently come together as the local body of believers who share together in heart, mission, and doctrine. Coming together as the church. Not going to church, but coming together as the church. But before I go any further, let me throw out a few disclaimers here, okay? There's always got to be a couple of disclaimers just in case. Every pastor has bad days, okay? We 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Small